We have a worker who had a gun pointed at her head the day that she left her abortion clinic. And it was the owner's son who pointed a gun to her head and said, if you ever talk about the things you've seen here, I will come back and blow your brains out. You know what? Let's just talk about it. I mean, let's talk about what the abortion industry is really like. I am so pleased to bring you our next guest. She is very familiar to all of you. In fact, to anyone in the pro-life movement, she is one of the best-known figures. Her name is Abby Johnson. Abby was with me at the Catholic Identity Conference, and she's been around everywhere. She is so straightforward, so pull no punches, because she's been there. She's been on the other side. And I think people who have been on the other side because they know what life is like on the other side, when they come to the truth, and in Abby's case, when she comes to the fullness of truth, you have an amazing warrior for truth like none other. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Abby Johnson, so good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We were together at the Catholic Identity Conference, and the title of your talk there was, was truly shocking. It was, Vatican Disappearing Act, Is the Pope Pro-Life? So, because I also don't like to beat around the bush, why don't we start with that? Give us a little synopsis of what that was about. We see a lot of confusion in the Vatican. We see the Pope offering an audience to and, and, and discussions with people like Chelsea Clinton. We see the Vatican now appointing two pro-abortion members, one person that's heading now the Pontifical Academy of Life. You know, something that was instituted by St. Pope John Paul II. And that was specifically something that was supposed to discuss pro-life issues. When, when that was originally created, every single member had to sign a document, a statement that said they were pro-life. And now the Pope, Pope Francis, has eliminated that statement. The current head of that academy has on her social media accounts all kinds of statements opposing the overturn of Roe v. Wade. She has statements saying that she is for abortion. And this is who he has appointed to head this group that was instituted by JP2 to be a pro-life association. And you know, also the the Pope has invited Joe Biden to have an audience with him, has invited Nancy Pelosi to have an audience with him. What we believe to be true is that he has given the whole Eucharist to both of them after, you know, Archbishop Corleone 
Nancy Pelosi's archbishop said she is not to receive communion. The Pope flat out said, don't care. She's getting it anyway. These are two people who are outspokenly in favor of abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. The Pope is going against our own beliefs and teachings in the Catholic Church. And, you know, do I believe that the that Pope Francis thinks abortion is wrong? Of course. He has said things to let us believe that. He, you know, has, has equated, equated hiring an abortion provider to hiring a hitman. So do I, I believe that, that he thinks abortion is wrong? Yes, I, I do believe that. But he has also led us to believe that that he believes that climate change is as an important issue as killing our preborn children in the womb and makes more statements regarding climate change than he does killing preborn children. He makes it very clear that stopping abortion is not a priority for him. But, you know, being concerned about the climate is an issue for him, is a priority issue for him. It's very concerning as Catholics. It's very confusing confusing as Catholics. It's confusing for people all around the world who are looking to the Catholic Church for clarification. He made virtually no statement when Roe was overturned. Uh, the, you know, I, I believe one of um, the biggest victories in, in the world regarding abortion rights and the pro-life movement. He made pretty much didn't say a peep about it. And I think that that speaks to the priority, his priority surrounding the pro-life issue. And I think that he is a person who has so greatly watered down the pro-life movement with everything else under the sun, which unfortunately is what we see a lot of Catholics do. The pro-life movement is and always has been and always should be laser focused on ending abortion. And unfortunately, there are many Catholics who like to throw in every other social social justice movement into the pro-life movement. And the Pope is one of them, you know, equating the slaughter of the pre-born with immigration issues you know, everything else you can think of falls into the pro-life movement. And that is simply untrue. It's intellectually dishonest. It really hurts what we're trying to do when it comes to protecting our, our most vulnerable. One of the things that is unique about you is that you did walk on the other side. You, as as most people know, your story was living on the other side, running Planned Parenthood Clinic. The shocking thing for many people is that many people think of the pro-life movement as, well, all they care about is the babies anyway. Once people are post-birth, they don't give a darn about you. Why don't you speak for a moment just to your experience of coming from the other side and how you were received by the pro-life movement? Was it with disdain or we don't want to talk to you because you you did these horrible things? What was it like? You know, I went to the pro-life movement. I didn't have to, I guess. I I could have just, you know, sort of slinked away into a corner and and said, you know, I don't don't want to have anything to do with these people. I just want to go get another job. And, And actually, 
that was my intention. What I, what I wanted to do was just reach out to the pro-life movement, this group of people who had said, you know, we're willing to help you find another job if you ever want to leave. And I thought I do need to take them up on their offer because I, I, you know, sort of said I was the most hated local celebrity in town. I lived in a very conservative community and was in the media a lot for being the Planned Parenthood director. And everybody in town was pro-life. And so I thought, I'm going to need some help if I if I want to get a job around here. And and so I thought, they can vouch for me, right? They, they'll know me, and they'll know about my change of heart. And so they can help me get an, another job. And I thought I, I wanted to stay kind of maybe in the medical field or I, you know, I'm a therapist. And so maybe I want to use my, my actual degree, my, my education. And so maybe they can help me in that field as well. And I never intended on telling my story publicly, but I knew that I I was going to need some friends and they had always opened their arms to me. And I was the one that had bucked them. You know, I was the one that had said, don't talk to me. I don't want anything to do with you. And uh, And so they were the ones that befriended me. And it was, you know, all of my tolerant, liberal best friends that were inside of the abortion industry, they were the ones that shut the door to me. In fact, when Planned Parenthood sued me and tried to get a permanent gag order against me, it was those liberal best friends of mine that actually took the stand and lied. And it was later proven in the court case that they were lying. And that's why the, that's why the case was thrown out. But it was all of these people who were supposedly so tolerant that turned against me when my beliefs didn't match up with them. And I can tell you, John Henry, that, you know, when I, when I originally left, it wasn't that I was, you know, conservative on all of these issues, except that I was pro pro choice right? I was extremely left. I mean, I was dang near a socialist on, you know, on many issues, but then I'd had this, you know, conversion to being pro-life. And I can't even say that I was, I wasn't even totally pro-life. I mean, I just sort of was like, I know that I don't want to be a part of abortion anymore. I hadn't even really made up my mind on what I thought about abortion in all situations or any situation. You know, I just knew I didn't want to have my hand in it. And these people were so kind. I certainly was still a believer in in gay marriage. I was still a believer in fully a believer in contraception. I, I had my I had an IUD in still. I believed in contraception. I believed in gay marriage. I, I believed in all of these other things, sex education in schools. I. I still had all of these very liberal beliefs. I still consider myself a Democrat. I, I, I still had all of these very, you know, liberal held beliefs, but I just didn't like abortion anymore. And, and even then they still loved me. They became my friends. They, you know, opened their homes to me. We hung out together. We went to dinner together. They loved me. Even though I had all of these other beliefs that were very, contradictory, very contrary to what they believed and, and even contradictory, right. To what I said, I was believing and I was still working all of this out. Right. But they were still just there and loving me and just gently guiding me. And when my faith community, we were Episcopalian and my faith community turned their back on me. My faith community said, 
if you're publicly pro-life, you can't be Episcopal anymore. And all my friends turned their back on me. And my whole world was upside down. And these people who I had believed to be my enemy for eight years, they were the ones that were there for me. That witness of yours is so powerful. It's how you've brought in another ministry that you you run, the the and then there were none, so many workers in the abortion industry out. Because your witness is so powerful, it, it tells the truth when it's so, so, so hidden. Yeah, we've helped 630 abortion workers leave their jobs. And, you know, yes, we help them get new jobs. Yes, you know, all of that is true. But really the victory for us is helping them come into relationship or get back into relationship with Christ. That's really the victory. And because it's not just about a job. It's, it's so much more than that. And, and that's what we do. We don't really consider it a victory. We don't really count that number unless, unless that's, that's the end goal. That's the, that's the final result. And it's really amazing. And I have to tell you, for those that have some sort of, of childhood faith foundation, the bulk of them are fallen away Catholics. And so getting them back into the sacraments, it's really, it's, it's like witnessing a miracle. And it completely changes their life. And it's such a, a beautiful thing. And, and really, I have to tell you the story. We had a, a woman who, I won't use her name, but she was a fallen away Catholic. She had worked in the industry. And we have these healing retreats for our former workers. And it's a different, they have different phases. So our phase one retreats are the first, the first time they've ever come on a healing retreat with us. And our retreats are run by therapists. So they're typically run by me and another therapist. I'm Catholic and the other therapist is, is a Protestant. And this woman came and she had worked at a Planned Parenthood abortion facility. And she had been in, inside of a psychiatric hospital since working in a Planned Parenthood, had suffered greatly with her mental health which is not surprising after working in an abortion facility and doing some of the things that she had done. And she had not been to confession in, in years. And so we had this healing retreat and she said to me, Abby, do you think there's any way after the first day, she said, do you think there's any way that you could, you could get me to confession? And she said, I really want to go. And I said, oh, I, I, bet I, could, I bet I could find a priest that would hear your confession. So I called a friend of mine who lives down the road in our community. And I said, Father Brian, I said, is there any way, this is a Saturday. And I said, is there any way that you could hear one of our clients' confessions? And he said, absolutely. He said, when could you be up at the church? So we met him up there. And I didn't actually go. I stayed back with the other women. I was helping them. And the other ther- the Protestant therapist, Amanda, actually took this woman up to the, up to the Catholic church and, and met. Now, this woman, had she was an older lady, and she was just very sort of 
sort of withdrawn, you know, even just her posture was sort of inward and, and even her coloring, it's sort of hard to describe, but her coloring was almost sort of ashen, just sort of like, you know, just not a lot of color there, not a lot of pink in her face, you know, just a woman, she just looked very troubled. And so my, my friend Amanda takes her and she sits down with Father Brian and they have a, a really long, great confession. She comes out, she comes back to the house and she looked like a different woman. I mean, physically, she looked different. Her shoulders were opened up. She wasn't, you know, drawn in anymore. Her, you know, her chest was open. Her shoulders were open up. And her face was a different color. Her face was like pink. It wasn't this gray, like ashen color anymore. It was pink. She had pink in her face and her cheeks. Her, her eyes were brighter. And so my Protestant friend, Amanda, she said, Abby, I've, I've never seen anything like this before. She said she went in, she went into the chapel and she came out and she physically looked different. It was like a different woman that, that walked in and came out. And I said, well, yeah, I said, that's, I mean, that's power of confession, right? And this, and our therapist, Amanda, or this Protestant therapist, she's a pastor's wife. And she said, I just, I, she said, Abby, there, there's something about that confession. <laughs> I said, yeah, there is something about that confession. And so being able to, to help these, these former workers who are fallen away Catholics, getting back into the sacraments, getting reconnected with, with the Eucharist, getting reconnected with these holy sacraments is such an amazing miracle. And we're able to do that. We've been able to do it hundreds of times. It's just really, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Just a quick note before we return, if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. Your life story, at least the first part of it, has been already told in, in your books, in a film even. But you're doing another film, or, or it's another film is being done, on sort of the continuation of Abby's story from your sort of conversion out of the, the pro-abortion movement, and then on and on. Because to me, the, the secondary part is so, so, so beautiful. First of all, tell us about the new film, and what's going on with it. And when you're listening to this, folks, please know that we have a Life Funder, which is LifeSite's own GoFundMe alternative, because GoFundMe doesn't allow really, really good fundraisers, crowdfunders. So we have a Life Funder for this new Abby Johnson film called Unthinkable. All the time, pro-abortion people will say, I'll tell my story about my facility, what happened inside of that Planned Parenthood, and they'll say, well, that's just what happened at your clinic. That's just what happened at, you know, your Planned Parenthood. That's not every Planned Parenthood. That's not what happens in the abortion industry, you know, by and large. That's just, that yours was like a one-off, right? And I'm like, okay, not really, but, you know, okay, you can, you can believe that, right? And, and I'll say, you know, but that's not true. We have, you know, six, over 600 former abortion workers that have the same story. And they're like, well, where are they? 
Why aren't they taught? Where are they? And there are many that, that do speak out. We have many who share their story now. But that got me thinking, you know, we do need to tell their stories in a, a documentary sort of a film. And so I started talking to documentarians. I don't, I don't really know anything about doing a documentary. So I started talking to documentarians and started sort of pitching this idea. You know, what if we really exposed the underbelly of the abortion industry? And what if we started telling our stories? And maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe, maybe mine is just a one-off right? But let's find out. Let's go talk to dozens and dozens of other former Planned Parenthood employees and private abortion facility employees. Let's hear their stories. Let's, let's hear about what it was like working in the abortion clinic. Let's hear about how women were treated. You know, let's hear about the corporate practices, the systemic practices inside of the industry. And Let's see how bad it really is, or let's see how good it is, right? And so that's what we've done. So we gathered dozens and dozens of former abortion workers, some directors, some nurses. We're talking to doctors, former abortion doctors, and we're just, we've gathered them all together and we are sharing stories. We are talking about what happens inside of the abortion clinic. We're talking about the psychological ramifications of working in an abortion clinic. Those have never been studied before. We're finally studying them. You know, what, what brings someone to work inside of an abortion clinic? We're talking about the brainwashing that takes place while you're working inside of an abortion clinic. We're talking about what it's like to leave an abortion clinic. You know, we have a worker who had a gun pointed at her head the day that she left her abortion clinic. And it was the owner's son who pointed a gun to her head and said, if you ever talk about the things you've seen here, I will come back and blow your brains out. We're, you know, talking about, you know, other, other people who workers who have worked in the industry whose co-workers overdosed on fentanyl that they were that they got from inside the clinic overdosed on fentanyl because of things that they saw in the clinic narcotics abuses alcoholism drug abuse the ways that people cope because of the things that they have seen in the clinic workers that have witnessed women dying on clinic tables, not calling ambulances. I mean, you know what? Let's just talk about it. I mean, let's talk about what the abortion industry is really like. You know, let's talk about this supposed healthcare that women are receiving inside of the abortion clinics. And let's just be really honest about it. Everybody needs to see this film. If you are going to support abortion, you need to know exactly what you are supporting. And you can argue with one person. Somebody can argue with me and say, you know what, that, that is just your story. But how can you argue 
with 50 to 100 abortion workers appearing in a documentary and saying, these are people who don't really know each other, right? They've just shown up to, to tell their stories. And when we all have the same sort of story and we've all worked for the same industry, how can you look at all of us and say, no, that was just a one-off. No, that was just a one-off. That was just a one-off when there's only 800 abortion facilities in the country and we represent 100 of them just in this documentary. How can you say that's just a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. Then you're talking about a systemic problem. We talk about it as reproductive health care and, and the, the, the doctors that show up to, to promote it are all in white lab coats like every other doctor. We have to realize this is a killing industry. And it's very hard to link that up with the reality when, when it's all shielded and hidden and talked about under euphemisms and, and called women's rights and everything else. But it's from those who've been on the other side and can show us, as you have, the glimpse from the inside that really the, the reality hits and it, it begins to strike people. And God willing, will one day make abortion unthinkable. I wanted to talk to you also, Abby, about something that is so beautiful. When you, when you came to the truth, you came to the fullness of the truth. You, you entered the Catholic Church as well, and you didn't stop in your pursuit of truth. I think there's a lot of people, because there's a lot of parts of Catholicism that are challenging, then more challenging. So in the issue of life, one of the most challenging things is the Church's teaching on contraception. Very few people talk about it, and probably even fewer live it out because it's a, it's a challenge. When you embraced life, you got rid of the contraception that you were on and you actually did. You were young enough and you, you had a whole, you have a whole bunch of children now. As beautiful as that is, it's still a challenge. Tell us about your thoughts on contraception and what you would tell women and, and men now about it. I started contracepting at a very young age without my parents even knowing about it. It's just, you know, sort of the thing to do, I guess. My friends just went to, you know, the community clinic and got birth control. And so I said, okay, well, I guess I'll do that too. We weren't educated on how to take it. We weren't educated on, you know, what it did to your body. It just, you just got it in a brown paper bag and went home and started taking it. You know, we didn't know that it would, you know, it could increase our risk of heart disease, breast cancer, stroke you know, bone density loss. We, we didn't know all of these things, but that's what society said that you did. You got young, you know, oh, you were young. If you had some pimples on your face, you took birth control. If you had a regular period, you took birth control. If you had headaches, you took birth control. You know, it's, it's like the one, one solution pill for women when it's really not a solution at all. It's breaking something that's working perfectly, perfectly fine. And there's no other, there's no other pill, there's no other medication in the world that we give to someone to break something when it's working fine. But we do that with contraception and women. So, you know, there's thousands of women who walk into doctor's offices every day and they say, you know, doctor, my fertility is working so good. I want you to give me a pill to make it not work anymore. And that's absurd. And not only will it break your fertility temporarily, it can break it permanently. 
And not only that, but as pro-lifers, we should all have an issue with contraception because when you begin to learn about contraception, you realize that there is potential to actually take life with hormonal contraception. And so that's something that I think is very challenging for the pro-life movement, because I think the pro-life movement, a lot of people don't know that. And then when they do know that, they want to pretend they don't know that because they don't want to change their lifestyle and they don't want to be uncomfortable. And, you know, but the reality is that every single form of hormonal contraception, every single form of hormonal contraception has the ability to take a fertilized egg. So a newly created human being, it has the ability to that. This is the backup form. This is the backup way that hormonal contraception works. If it doesn't prevent ovulation, then the backup way that hormonal contraception works is that it takes this newly created human being It creates a hostile uterine environment so that that newly created human being will not be able to implant and attach to the uterine wall. Therefore, you have a spontaneous abortion or a miscarriage. And you have intentionally done something to your body so that that cannot happen. And that's why it's considered an abortion and abortifacient. If we believe as pro-lifers that life begins at conception, which we all do, then we should have a problem with contraception because that's what contraception is. It's against conception. It is a challenge for a lot of people. It's a challenge for a lot of Catholics. One of the reasons it's a challenge for a lot of Catholics is because the Catholic Church isn't teaching on it like they should. Priests are not teaching on it like they should. And we're not even teaching on abortion like we should. So we're certainly not teaching on contraception like we should. There's a lot of people that talk about, you know, infertility is a cross and and infertility is a cross to bear. It's a heavy cross to bear. My husband and I, after I had my IUD removed, we actually struggled with subfertility for two years. And so um, nobody believes me because now we have eight children and they're like, there's no way, there's no way you struggle with infertility, but we did. We did for two years, and I understand the longing for a child. I I do. This ability to get pregnant every time the wind blows is also a cross to bear. And and so, you know, having a large family is also a cross to bear. And we all have crosses to bear in our lives, whether it's, you know, not having children, whether it's having many, many children. But, you know, God gives us the grace and the tools that we need to bear those crosses. And sometimes we have those crosses so that we can lean into him even more so that we can depend on him in an even greater way. And that's what, you know, Doug and I have realized. We are so grateful. We're so blessed with all the children that we do have. But I can tell you that all of these children that we do have have fostered an even greater dependence on the Lord <laughs> in many days. So, so you know, I, I think that, but, but I, I you know, <laughs> Doug always says, when I, I was actually in mass, we had just started the RCIA process. 
And I was one of those very, very stubborn RCIA attendees. And I had just decided that I would be a Catholic who contracepts because I was never going to be one of those people who didn't support contraception. And I was in, because God does nothing subtly in my life. And I was sitting in mass one day and I was sitting behind this woman with her, with her new, newly born child. And it was like, God smacked me over the head with a board. In that instant, he said to me, go get your IUD taken out. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, really? And so I just felt this desire to have more children, a desire I never, I had never had before, not even when I had my daughter, Grace. And I just had all of a sudden in my heart, I had this longing to have more children that I'd never had before. And I'm looking at this little tiny baby and I was just like, I got to have more kids. I, I got to start having more kids right now. And so I look over at my husband in the middle of mass. I whispered to him, I said, I've got to go get my IUD out. And he looked at me and he said, now? I thought it's like, well, not now, but like tomorrow. And he says to people, he says, that's the sexiest thing Abby's ever said to me. (laughs) I went to my OB the next day. And I said, I've got to get this IUD out. And she said, what are you going to do for birth control? And I said, nothing. I said, I, I want kids. I said, and then when we do, I said, I guess we'll use this NFP thing. I don't know. My friends have been talking about it. I don't know what it is. And she said, well, I can't help you with that, but maybe the Catholic church knows something about it. And I said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. And she said, well, you'll be able to get pregnant immediately as soon as I remove this. But the IUD had damaged my body so much that I had to end up going to a NAPRO doctor to get everything worked back out in my body. And it took us two years to get pregnant with our son, Alex. And then everything jump started, and then we couldn't stop getting pregnant. And, and that's been a blessing, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been a beautiful journey, but I think a lot of people don't realize the damage and the stress that they're doing to their body. And I think a lot of a lot of women and and couples and men, they don't realize that they're taking life. They're potentially taking life whenever they're using these hormonal methods and even non-hormonal methods. They're putting a barrier, you know, in their marriage where there shouldn't be one. And when you give yourself over to your spouse, when you say, I'm giving all of me, then truly give all of you to your spouse. Don't have any barrier in between in between you and your spouse. And that means giving all of you, giving your fertility, giving, giving everything. You know, I've often thought about your husband because having read and and watched your story, Doug has always been like a, a, a hero in, in a sense to me too, because he followed you in everything and supported you. And uh, it was beautifully portrayed in the film, you know, just how loving a husband. And uh, anyway, please give him my best. I, I, I'm sure he has such support for you. You've got such a beautiful family. God bless you for that. Tell us a little bit about Doug. 
He's amazing. He really is. And people always ask, because he really is great as, as we made him out to be in the movie. And I'm like, he is. And even better. He's, he's amazing. He's always been such a good support to me and really such a good husband and a good father. And he's his patron saint is St. Joseph. And he said, oh, I had to pick the best dad out there. So he did. He, he's such a, he's such a good father. And, you know, when I worked at Planned Parenthood, he was always pro-life and people have asked him, you know, how could you marry somebody when you're pro-life? And, you know, they were, she was working, you know, at an abortion clinic. And he just always said, you know, I loved her. And by that time there were just really no deal breakers. You know, I just, I knew that eventually she would come around and I knew that she was too caring to, to not eventually see that she had to care for both the woman and the child. And, and so he just was very faithful and in, in praying and along with my parents. And I think, you know, between my husband's prayers and my parents' prayers, those were the two greatest influences in my life. And, and really, you know, among the three of them, I believe that their prayers are the primary reason that I'm here today. Really, let that be an encouragement to anybody who's listening and that, you know, for anyone, whether it's a, a spouse or children, particularly children who are sort of wayward and, and maybe on their own path that, you know, the Bible makes that promise that as long as we, you know, train them up in, in the foundation of their faith, that they will one day return. And, you know, my parents really held on to that biblical promise. And, you know, I remember my dad told my, my mom said that my dad told her one day, you know, Kathleen, we may not be here to see it. We may not be here to see that day come, but we, we have to hold on to that promise that the Lord has made us, that she will one day return. And that's why it's so important for us as parents to train our children up in the way that they should go. Because they may temporarily walk away from that faith, but we have to believe in the Lord's promise that they will one day return. Abby, where can people find out about what you're doing, about your new film? I know they can go to Life Funder if they want to support it, Life Funder slash Unthinkable. Where else can they find out about you and everything you're doing? Yeah, they can just go to my website, abbyj.com. They can find out more about everything I'm doing. They can hear my podcast. Everything I do is on that website. Beautiful. Abby, thank you so very much for being with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. God bless you, Abby. And Doug. And all your children, of course. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.